from Carry the Load, these are Lessons from the Front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. You've likely heard the expression regarding someone taking a knife to a gunfight. The implication is that the person in question is, eh, to put it kindly, ill-prepared. To be critical is to say that person lacks intelligence. But what about the one who takes a Nikon to a gunfight? The one who risks their own life to catch moments and snap photos which, when shown to the public, bring home the horrific reality of war from which the majority of our detached society is isolated. Well, after meeting Jeremy Locke, I call them trusting souls of courage. Jeremy is a veteran Air Force combat photographer who received accolades seven times as the military photojournalist of the year, and his images are nothing less than stirring. He was in the midst of multiple firefights and even received the Bronze Star when he put down his Nikon and switched to something more lethal to help in the recovery of an American soldier. Well, that certainly explains the courage part of military photography. As for the trusting soul part, take a listen and see if you draw the same conclusion. I would also encourage you to listen to his podcast, Last Letters, which can be found on all the major podcast venues. Like his photos, very moving. Now, here's my conversation with Jeremy Locke, and if you're so inclined, please share this with others. I graduated high school and then went to Wright State University for just a little bit. To Wright bit. State? Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't, and, I don't know that I know their mascot. Um, the Wright State. Uh, that's a good question. I do know the Dayton Flyers. The the reason why I don't really know is because college politely asked me to leave. So <laughs> I uh, I didn't do too well in college and kind of failed out. So the dean asked you? Not personally, but they were like, yeah, it's time to go. Well, Grades hey, weren't there. I mean, but, you're obviously not dumb. No, no, thanks. <laughs> I, I mean, I do have dumb moments. Um, but no, I, I was just, I was rebellious, um, outgoing, I would say, you know, just always pushing the limits, always okay. looking for that fun time. So school was not on your terms. No, school was to, to socialize, to play sports. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. that's kind of how I saw school. I, I can relate very, very well. So how'd you end up in the air force? Then? So I, I started working construction and you know, the guys I was working with had to go back into jail on the weekends. I was like, man, this, this life just isn't for me. I loved it. Honest days work, honest days pay. You're working with your hands and you can actually see what you've built. Yes. And, um, but there, I just thought there was something better. My father was a, uh, aeronautical engineer in the air force. So he helped develop. Not smart at all. Yeah. Right. God, sitting down at the table, doing math questions with him was just like tear jerkers, like really crying. Like, I don't understand. But um, I was like, you know, that's a good, good profession. I'll try that. Yeah. My mom was a, a midwife, a nurse, practitioner, a bunch of stuff like that. Okay. So I was like, let's combine those and join the military. Let's be an x-ray technician. You know, do four years, get a okay. good trade, and get out. <laughs> of course, you listen to your recruiter, and, you know, they're all, yeah, you'll get that. Um, went in open general and didn't get that. So I became an imagery processor. So the satellite imagery, the spy plane, the okay. UC spy plane. Okay. I was the guy in the darkroom processing and printing that. And, uh, I was the guy who, 
you know, the president, the unseen battlefield commanders, everybody was the Pentagon were seeing those images. And this is like when Bosnia was going on. So it, it was okay. very important to like, I felt like I mattered and, and, and had that purpose of, wow, my, my, what I'm doing is being seen. It's making a difference. Yeah. Very similar to the construction that you were talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then, then the career fields kind of started merging and I picked up a camera and had some amazing mentors and, and just fell in love with photography and attended a couple workshops. And when I saw one of my favorite photographers, Mary Calvert, when I saw the true power of an image, if you think about it, you know, one eight thousandth of a second can change the world. Not one eight thousandths of a second. You know, video has to go 10 seconds for an actual clip. So 10, 20 seconds, a minute video. But I think one eight thousandth, one shutter click can change the world. And and she showed me the compassion and in telling other people's stories. And I, I was hooked. And you think about a photographer, a combat photographer, we're out there to capture combat, right? I kind of looked at it different, again, through my mentors, through seeing some of these iconic photographs. Mm-hmm. Tell me an iconic photograph where you actually see a gun battle. I, I can't think of one because it's at a distance. It's pops of smoke somewhere. I had a, a, uh, a gentleman, and I wish it was at a combat camera re- reunion, and I really wished I, I could attribute him and his name but he looked over at me, he goes, Jeremy, to truly capture combat, to truly capture combat is to capture it on the soldier's face next to you. Ooh. Right? Ooh. So now think about those iconic photos that we've seen, Napalm Girl running, um, you know, to, um, there's a famous guy that says war is hell on the helmet. Yes. Um, the, the, all these iconic photographs, their, their eyes and their faces, there's these moments that aren't necessarily the gun battle. And that has stuck with me to this, to this day. No matter what I photograph, it's pet of the week. It's like, what are they feeling? The other photo that, that came to mind when you said that was, um, I think it was the Spanish Civil War. There was a, um, there was a man that was coming up over a hill or coming down the hill. I can't remember, but I, but it's emblazoned in my mind, and he had obviously just been hit. Yep, and you see his arm go back, yes. and he's kind of wearing yes. like a, a cap, yes. like a round cap with the yeah. Absolutely, I, I know what you're. God, why is that name's driving me nuts right now? But, and I, I couldn't tell you the, you know the. But yeah, absolutely. But yeah, those were the, those are the two that come to mind. When I think in terms of just kind of obscure, just snap of the finger, and you know, one eight thousandth of a of a second. Absolutely right, right. And, and and there's a lot of luck in there too. But sure. But those individuals were in the right place at the right time and had the right skills to capture that. And they were willing to be in that position. And I and I think that that's one of the. One of the things that I really admire about your profession, yeah. did you ever find yourself where you're just like, what in the world am I doing? Um, I, I don't think I ever looked at it upon like, oh my God, why am I here? Or what, 
I, I looked at it like, oh my God, I'm here. This is cool, right? This is, and I know it's kind of in a sick way. And not only do I carry a ga- uh, camera, I'm also a combatant. I carry a okay. gun. Okay. So most of the time I would carry a, a nine mil. Um, a lot of other combat camera guys, they'd carry, you know, the, the, the rifle and all that kind of stuff. But I chose the, because I was on air crew status to carry a nine mil and, and if it really got hairy, you know, there's, there's going to be a weapon next to me that I can pick up and I've, I've had to pick up. Um, so it, it has gotten hairy. For it you. has gotten hairy, but I've never had to fire back. Thank God. Um, but yeah, it's, it's to the point where I'm, I look around and go, Oh my God, this is, I get to tell these brave men and women's stories. I, that to me is, is the greatest, greatest thing I think I've ever done um in my life is is to be on a battlefield or humanitarian conditions and show what our great men and women that wear that uniform are doing in the world and what's even more important is when you know you see them down the road and they're like yeah your picture made my newspaper my mom loved it and i mean that's that touches me that touches me. There's a great responsibility and a, a great honor with it. But yeah, it's always been like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm I'm sitting here seeing Uday's lions for the first time. We're feeding them, you know. And and Well, okay, so so tell people about Uday's lions. I know I know who Uday is. I somewhat know this the the you know the that he had lions, but give everybody the background of that, because I think that's a fascinating piece. And I want to come back to a couple other things. That you mentioned in that as well. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> Uday, one of uh, Saddam's sons. Yeah, his palace was located right next to um, to Saddam's in Baghdad. We were one of the first ones. I think I was the famous statue that came down of Saddam that was publicized. Uh, I think we came in the day after that or, or something okay. like that. So were you embedded with Marines or Army? I, uh it was army. Um, Green Berets were, were okay. the guys that we were with okay. out of uh, Baghdad, and and they were the ones when we were one of the first people in um, Saddam's palace, and right next to it was Uday's palace, and we were the ones who discovered Uday's lions. Um, then there were smaller palaces down the way, and the Green Berets would go out and kind of there was little animals, deers, and stuff. You know, on the property, they'd shoot and they'd feed the lions. And, really? Oh, yeah. It was, it was crazy. Okay, so so the lions, I got <clears throat> I gotta go deeper there. So were they in kind of a uh, a Roman gladiator type pit? <laughs> it was just like a big zoo pit. Okay. Like, it wasn't a pit. It was a, just a ginormous cage. Okay. Um, that you'd see maybe a, like a zoo or something like that. And I, I think there was two females and a male. Okay. And so we'd go hunt. I was never with them actually watching them, you know, kill the hunt, uh, the uh, the animals and stuff. But they'd bring them back and they're, hey, come on, we're going to feed the lions. So, Oh, you had to have your camera oh, ready yeah, at that point. Yeah. So we'd chuck in the stuff and they start feeding. And and I remember one time, it, I always tell this story like it is it is honestly the true, true fact that the scariest time I've ever had in a wartime situation is I was about you heard my voice crack because it was like <laughs> I still feel it. It was I was about five feet from the cage as they were feeding, 
and with my camera up, and the male lion just went at the cage and just did that big roar. I jump back. I scream like a girl. Your your inside bones, like you feel the reverberation. You just feel it. And, and wow. all the green berets were just laughing at me. And yeah, so that, I, I always say that that's the scariest. And and the lions actually gave birth. One of the lions gave birth while we were there. Really? Yeah. So okay, so I started off asking you <clears throat> one of the scariest moments of your time in combat. Of my time in combat, that that is, and it, it was actually the roar of a lion. It was being fed. Yeah, <laughs> I, you want to talk about going in a direction I didn't count on, right? Right, but then again, it, it goes back to your first question. You know, like how do you feel in these these situations? I remember the first time, and you Baghdad at that time, everybody was running scared. There's dead bodies all over the place. Mm-hmm. Everybody's kind of running scared. Um, I remember we're wearing, you know, baseball caps and not armored vehicles and we're patrolling. I I remember the first time we were coming back from a patrol and I'm in the back of a Humvee and all of a sudden you just hear this snap, 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 you know, I'm like, kind of ducked down and it's bullets whizzing by your head and hitting the trees behind you as you're rolling. And I just remember ducking down, looking up at my gunner, my gunner starts going pop, 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 you know, firing back. And I was just like, oh, wow, like, I'm really here. We're really, yeah. we're really doing it. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to hurry up and, and photograph it. It was over. I didn't even pull up a camera to, to photograph what was going on. You were in harm's way. <clears throat> and if I'm not mistaken, you received a bronze star for your actions. But, I'd, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, you, because you said... You never had to fire the weapon, but you yet you your valor was such that you received a bronze star. Tell me about that. So the bronze the bronze star is it's cool and everything. Um, the Army Combat Action Badge is kind of like the one I like. Yeah. Okay. And it, it it I've had to do everything from stick my finger in in bullet holes you know, first aid stuff to been firefights blown up and car bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of that kind of stuff. So, I, and it's funny, like all I remember out of those is, is kind of how fast I ran. I was a heavy smoker at the time and you know, that adrenaline kicks in and I, there was this one in Mosul where we're doing a traffic control stop and, Next thing you know, we get sniped, and and uh, one of our guys took a bullet to the back. And can, I, can you set the stage for me a little bit there? Because you know, when you say you're in Mosul and you get sniped, are you on patrol? Yeah, we're we're out doing a uh, a patrol, just a random okay. patrol, daily patrol, patrolling neighborhoods. Where and, um, and how do you get? And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how do you get? To embed yourself with them. Are you going and looking at, at you know, the a patrol log and say, okay, well, I see a group's going out here. Have you made relationships with these folks to the point where they're saying, you know, hey, Jeremy, we're going to, uh, you know, we got a patrol coming up and, you know, the lieutenant or captain reaches out to you. Is that, how does that work? That's an amazing question because, yeah, so we 
are dropped in. It's it's your time to deploy, and you're going over to Iraq and Baghdad. You're in Baghdad. Next thing you know, it's like, okay, Jeremy, your team's going to go up to Mosul um, and embed. So you go up there, you have room and board, right? Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, what do I do? So I would run over and start asking questions and knock on the, uh, the base commanders. So you're going door. to develop business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm trying to find out who's seeing action. Who's, who's doing what, you know, I introduce myself and it's not easy cause you got a picture. I'm an air force guy mm-hmm. walking up, looking pretty much like Gomer pile. I'm not lying. <laughs> Helmet all cocked, you know, Hey guys, what's going on? What are you guys doing? They're like, Really? Who who are you? Air Force? Really? Like, yeah, hey, I just want to go out and they're like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. And and there is some hesitation from guys taking us out. But you have to do it too in such a way where you're not compromising absolutely their security. So again, you want to be an asset, right? And in combat camera, we train, we're not only trained to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. But we can also be a vehicle driver. Okay. We can also do first aid. We can also be number two man in a stack going into the house. We train. So for you were all that. you were trained for first aid beyond just what you did in basic training. It sounds like. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah but not very extensive. But yes, to to save a life. Absolutely. But I, but I think the important thing that you said there is is that you are striving to be an asset and not just a strap hanger. Remember, you're out there doing something bigger than all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Again, you have to show what our brave men and women are doing. That's that's what kept me going. That's what kept me bringing that camera up every time. That's that was the importance of my job. You know, um, I, I remember getting a photograph release, and it was uh, execution that we came upon where a guy had been executed and then laying in the streets and we came, I have to show this. So as a combat camera guy, I have to show kind of like the scene. Right. But now in my mind, I'm sitting here going, well, how do I get to show this? Cause they're not going to let me release the whole photograph. Right? right. How? And, but that has to go up for military purposes. They need to see that it might be classified in a certain way. How do I get this so I can get the American people to show or see what's going on? So I take it in different ways. Maybe it's just, it was a bloody arm coming down out of a body bag and it showed, I mean, it spoke death and went to my releasing official. But it didn't personalize it because you didn't show the face. Right. But how important, that was a big step in, in my progression over there is how important, because yeah, we show guys walking the streets. We show, you know, cool firing of cannons and airplanes and tanks. Oh, it's all cool, cool, cool. But how come we don't get the real stuff released? Soldier who just got his arm blown off or, or a victory or a loss, right? Like Vietnam, that stuff was coming out. You know, I'm, I imagine what was censored back then. And I'm not saying we were censored. We're, we were never censored. It just depended on how it would go up. But again, that responsibility of how important is it to show what our brave men and women are doing? And they're at war. People die in war. So that was the amazing, like, aha moment when I was able to get photos like that released to to kind of show show the 
show the perspective. So you go into it with an expectation. And your expectation is, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to make sure my camera's trained this way. I mean, you, you've got this plan. My expectation is to come back with honor. At the end of the day, everything else fails, or everything else is not important. At the end of the day is, did I and my teammates come back alive and with honor? So what did that look like to you? So when you got there and you said, the most important thing to me is to return home with honor. That's a powerful word. And you use that word very specifically. What did that mean to you before you even got there? I'll tell you when it, when it clicked. The okay. very first time I was over in Iraq, that mentality, that snapped, that first deployment, that snapped, like, okay, this, this is serious. But also at the same time, when I say with honor and, and everybody, I, I can't tell you what the right thing to do is. I mean, look at these Medal of Honor recipients jumping on grenades or doing these heroic acts. Do I have that in me? I don't know. Is running the right thing to do? I don't know. Until you're in that situation, the most important thing is if it is running or hunkering down, did my whole team, again, I'm attached to these guys, but I'm still their team. They're my team. Did we all make it off that battlefield today? That to me is what coming back with honor and coming back with safety. Did we do our jobs? And do you feel like you met your own expectations? I pause because we can always do better, right? right. Um, I absolutely, I feel, I a hundred percent feel I came back with honor. Um, and I'm safe, so safe and honor. But I mean, there's people that I've photographed that uh, didn't make it off. Um, I talked a little bit about that story in Mosul where we stopped and the guy got shot. And all I remember, like, and I was a couple car lengths down and I, I look back and, and he's on the ground. I know I have to get over there. Do I really have to get over there? Like, I'm sitting here now question, do I really have to get over there? At that time, I made that decision, looked up at the gunner and said, hey, will you cover me? And I ran down during a firefight to get close to him. Um, and documented, and, and everybody made it. Um, it wasn't, some of those photos didn't get released, um, but it was, I want to say it was probably about a year before the pandemic. Um and I, I want to say his name is Sergeant uh, McPool, I think it is. His family reached out to me, and he he lost his life to suicide. So his family was very inquisitive to what happened to that on that day. So I sent them photos and and you know kind of told what I remembered from that that day. Um, yeah. So that's kind of. You know, when you when it all circled back to, you know, Bronze Star and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, you you don't go in there for I go in there to do my job and, and to to again, I, I can't say enough, the greatest honor I've ever had in my life is to show what our brave men and women do on the battlefield. And that's just one of those things. I, I, I will tell you that I came home and my grandfather was World War Two um, army guy. Um, 
And uh, I was like, here I'm thinking, you know, I have a long history of military and I've just been awarded uh, the Bronze Star and I, I'm thinking I'm the highest awarded, you know, lock member. And I call him up. I remember I was sitting in a Walmart parking lot in Somerville, South Carolina and uh, I said, Grandpa, hey, I just want you to know I've been awarded this, this Bronze Star. And he goes, oh, one of those? He goes, yeah, I got one of those. It's like, how you got to be kidding me? He goes, he goes, but yours is probably more important. He goes, uh, our whole unit was awarded one, so it's like, it it was just but that's um, the greatest generation. Absolutely. You know what I did with that bronze star that I was given? I, I got an idea, but you tell me. I buried it. I buried it with him. Put it in his hands in his coffin. Did you really? Yep. Absolutely. I am. I I have <laughs> sensed a um a pattern with you. Um, the importance of telling the story of others. Um, your podcast focuses on others, uh, the last letters. Um, you've mentioned putting others before yourself multiple times. Um, you're big into relationships, I can tell, and the importance of, of a, of a, of a very, what's the word I'm looking for? A relationship that is meaningful. So you talked about this, this young man who was covering you as you went to the, uh, uh, capture the photos of the body. What kind of relationships did you develop with these guys when you were out there? Every time I walk off that, that field, doesn't matter where I'm at, Haiti earthquake, Japan tsunami, the battlefield. Every time I walk off that, that playing field, I have in my mind everybody came home to. So, you know, that's why I got a little emotional with, um, I think it's Mick Poole's family reaching out to me is because he's somebody that made it home. Um, but he, he, uh, he then lost his battle afterwards, and so many people are. Um, but I just, I maybe it's a fairy tale. Um, it, it's it's hard for me. I mean, you see, I'm struggling with this because I I don't know what the right answer is. I don't think there is a right answer, but in my mind, we all we all come home. So with September being Suicide Awareness Month, um. And I can hear you struggling with, with the whole idea of suicide. Um, and for anyone who knows me, they've heard me say multiple times, my, the lens, if you'll pardon the expression, through which I viewed um, suicide for the longest time was a very naive lens. It was... Um, for someone who takes their own life, it's a very selfish act. And they're hurting more people than just themselves. Um, I'm, I'm in that right now. I'm, I'm in that battle. And I was in that battle until probably about five or six years ago. Um, I went down and met with one of our nonprofit partners, uh, Warriors Heart Foundation. Um, gentleman by the name of Tom Spooner, 
um, kind of took me on the tour of their, of their location. Uh, Tom was a, um, a Green Beret combat veteran as well. Um, he gave me a perspective that I never had before. And he showed me a book called uh, War and the Soul. And um, Edward Tech is the author. And, and if he knew how many times I've plugged him, uh, I might actually write some royalties out of this book. Um, but Tom was very clear about the fact that it saved his life. And I'll never forget when it all clicked for me. I was on vacation, and I realize you're the one being interviewed, but this is a powerful story, so this, I'm going to tell this, it. I'm, I'm in your boat um, right now. <laughs> so I'll never forget when it all clicked for me. Uh, my wife and I were on vacation, and we were in Cabo. I got up early in the morning, went down to grab breakfast, um, and took that book with me. And the book was kind of a combination of mythology um, and a study of suicide from war specific to, more specific to Vietnam than anything else. And I just remember just sitting in the most beautiful setting. And all of a sudden, there was a part of it that I read when I kind of pushed back from the table and went, ah, now I get it. And I realized what I thought was selfishness was a pain that was being relieved in a lot of cases for the benefit of others. And it was one of the most powerful moments of my adult life because all of a sudden I had this guilty feeling of how naive I was to it. And when I tell you I was naive, Jeremy, I used to have to give, you know, the suicide brief as a check in the box to the platoon. And I would say just stupid things. Hey, if you're going to do it, just do it. I mean, that's when I tell you how embarrassed I was, that's what I mean. I've been living in that bubble of, of how I'm angry at people who commit suicide. I find it a weakness. Um, but man, if I learned so much because it's now hit me, um, the last two months I've lost two people. Um, to suicide, Cindy Leonard and, and James, Jimmy Harper. And never in my life have I lost anybody that's close to me. These people I've shared, you know, the world with, I've traveled the world with to cover stories. Um, I, I, I love, like you just taught me something that I haven't heard. And so it was, it was the, um, they're committing. It's hard for me to talk because it's, it's still fresh and painful, but what you said resonated with me over they're alleviating somebody else's pain off of somebody else. I've never, never heard that. And, and it 
I guess it makes sense. Like right now it's, I can, I can see the thinking, um, to that. There's just so many more questions. I mean, I even I have, I attend a Bible study and we talked about suicide and, you know, I've reached out to other buddies. And so I'm, I'm learning more and learning, I guess, how to deal with it more. I still hate it. It's fucking, excuse me. It's, Sorry. it's horrible. Um, and it's, you know, not, not horrible for me. Like I, I, I'm sad that they're gone, but I, I, it, it's horrible for their families, you know, and I, I'm flustered. I, I, you can hear it in my voice. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And, and well, I just, I just pray in that, the, that their families and something good will come out of it. And I mean, is that even the right thing to say? You know, what I've come to realize personally is that with, with each of these people, there is a pain of some kind, whether it be a physical pain, a mental pain, or an emotional pain. And that emotional pain, I think, is the one that's um, it's the hardest to put a finger on because you can't, you can kind of see a mental or a physical pain in someone, but you can't see a, an emotional pain uh, unless you stop and look for it. And that's the one thing that I'm hoping we can all do uh, in the, you know, and, and that's why I think September is such an important month. Um, we've all got to start looking for it because if you don't, you're not going to see it. So I want to, I want to go back to one thing that I came across and in my research, you took a picture and I had to look at it twice and then I had to zoom in on it. And it was of a young child who I believe was sleeping and there were just flies everywhere. So my question that I'd love for you to answer before you go on to the, the context of it, was that child alive? Yes, the child was alive, but I didn't think the child was alive, I think, when I took that photo. Um, I know exactly the one you're talking about, and... Uh, I think I counted like 70 flies. There was, there was a lot. I, there was, I can't remember, but I swear one time I counted all the flies on the kid. Um, that was in Iraq and it was on the rooftop of a house and it was just, you know, checking, doing local checks in, check-ins on families and stuff and, and searching the house. And we thought this, this kid was dead up there and then, finally moved and but that photo again this is why i love what i do um that photo generated a lot of aid and assistance to that family and i Did think it? there was multiple families yeah just from our base that we became friends and took things out to them and and oh yeah it, it's again the power of an image Right, and it's definitely that's definitely not one of my favorite images I've ever taken. But it was but so powerful to change, to make a difference. Change as a photojournalist, that's all I want to do is is make a difference in the world with with one of my images. So you took the picture, and folks at the base, some military folks who are going out there to kill or be killed, 
see the humanization of what they're dealing with and they support. How did that feel? <laughs> yeah, I don't, you're the first person I ever asked me. I, to me, it's, that's my job um, to make that difference. It, when you make but that you difference. But you did, and you knew you did. So, and that's what I'm saying. How did it make you feel? It made me feel great. I mean, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to make that difference. And something so, you know, I guess ordinary to them, that's what they do, sleep up there and flies don't matter. But to, I, I do remember handing over toys and, and school supplies and food and stuff to them and just when you see that that genuine smile, you don't have to speak the same language, you know, nothing but a good handshake and eye contact and smiles. I mean that 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 says it all, you know. And and again, that's I I, I think that's all humans, human nature. I mean, that's what we want to do is just make a difference in the world. I don't want to go through life just being mediocre and, and I want to make a difference. And if, if that difference is in my kids, then I've succeeded. It's in my wife. I've succeeded. That difference is in my job. Then I've succeeded. So making a difference in, in somebody's life. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, but an awesome feeling. Well, as you're, as you're aware, you know, carry the load is about restoring the true meaning of Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is about making sure that we honor those who never got to take off the uniform. And it's very important to us as an organization that we continue to say the names uh, and remember those who made that ultimate sacrifice for people they didn't even know. Um, they carried us so... Who are you carrying? You know, if you would have asked me this two months ago, um, I, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, again, remember in my mind, we all make it home. I, I also, I, I recognize, believe you me, I recognize the importance of, of the sacrifices. Um, I don't think they're, in my opinion, I don't think there's any other greater honor than dying on the battlefield for one's country. I don't want it to happen. But, I mean, there's so many senseless ways we die, car wrecks or whatever, but um, I, I, it's a true honor and it, and it's sad that it has to happen. But at the end of the day, like two months ago, I, I wouldn't know because we all make it home. Yeah. We've lost people. I'm very grateful. Those that became before us. I mean, we, God, we take our freedom, our 2.5 kids, our white picket fences, our playstations. We take that so much for granted here in the United States, but it's the brave men and women who, who have given the ultimate sacrifice that puts us here until two months ago, I lost two of my friends. And, and so those would be who I would now state that I carry Cindy Leonard and, and Jimmy Harper. Unfortunately, they lost their lives to suicide. 
but their mission was, and the things that they did were no less important. Cindy Leonard. And Jimmy. Harper. Harper. Um, again, with this being Suicide Awareness Month, I think it's very important that we as a society begin to understand that there are many lives that we lose as a result of the battlefield. Um, and not just because someone did not pass on the battlefield does not mean that that's where they actually remained even when they came home. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, might, might even actually have an idea for you, uh, afterwards, but, um, Jeremy, thanks. It's been, uh, it's been insightful. This has been incredible for me. As you say, I get a little emotional and it's been a long time that I've had an interview that's, we were able to sit down and just talk like two human beings and not have any fences up or it was beautiful. And I, and I love a good cry here or there. Well, you put a lot of other people first in your podcast. So figured it was time to do that with you. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Thank you.